Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Extra, extra, movie producer shot on Hearst's yacht. Forget that. Get the real story from Hearst himself. What are you getting at? You can read it right here in black and white on the pages of the Los Angeles Times. The LA Times is run by a bunch of crooks looking to make a buck. And Hearst ain't. What are you doing on my corner anyway? Get out of here. It's a free country, and I can sell my papers where I want. I'll take one, please. That'll be 25 cents. Thank you, sir, for investing in the truth. Truth? Huh. That's rich. Just like Mr. Hearst. And that's what really matters, ain't it? On Wednesday morning, November 19, 1924, the Los Angeles Times ran a story detailing the shooting of Thomas Ince by the newspaper mogul William Randolph Hearst. The article claimed that Hearst had thrown Ince a birthday party aboard his yacht, the Oneida, then shot him later in the evening. Many believed it was an accidental shooting and that Hearst's intended target was Charlie Chaplin. Hearst was a notoriously jealous man and apparently believed that his girlfriend, Marion Davies, was having an affair with Chaplin. Hearst thought he had caught the two of them together and in a jealous rage tried to shoot Chaplin. But instead, the bullet intended for Chaplin struck Ince, ultimately killing him. On the same day the LA Times ran their story, Hearst's own papers claimed that Ince had fallen ill while visiting Hearst at his home in San Simeon. It's clear that someone was lying. But who was it? The accusers or the accused. And why? What really happened? Why hide the truth? This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. This is our final episode on the mysterious death of Thomas Ince. If you like the show, we'd immensely appreciate it if you'd leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there, because a new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. We 
should take a moment up front here to mention that this investigation gets extremely confusing. Well, almost everything we know is based on rumors, and rumors are just that, rumors. There are no reliable or official records to back up any of the theories, and as we've already seen, even newspaper reports can't be relied upon to contain the truth. But we will do our best to find out what really happened to Thomas Ince. The most popular and persistent theory is that William Randolph Hearst shot Ince aboard his yacht, but had the story covered up. Since Hearst was such a powerful force in the American media at the time, the theory seems believable. In 1920, Hearst owned 13 newspapers and seven magazines. Throughout the decade, he'd continued to grow his business, acquiring 15 more papers and six more magazines. And we're not talking about small, regional publications, either. Among the Hearst publications were prominent names like Harper's Bazaar, Cosmopolitan, and Good Housekeeping. At his peak, a quarter of Americans read a Hearst newspaper every day. That would have been about 20 million people in 18 major cities throughout the U.S. Even by today's standards, that's a lot of followers. And throughout the 1920s, he expanded into radio and movies. So we're talking about a guy with a lot of media influence in the 1920s. And that was also about the time that he got into politics. Uh, of course, because he didn't have enough on his plate. Hearst's political run made him extremely sensitive to scandal. But he had a huge influence over a vast portion of the national readership, so he should have been able to suppress any rumors or speculation that might have made him look bad, right? Mm, not quite. As you may remember from our last episode, Thomas Ince was an innovative and prolific filmmaker who ended up being one of the most influential forces in the early days of the movie industry. Ince was friends and business partners with Hearst and his mistress, the actress Marion Davies. The L.A. Times story got it right when they said that Ince had been aboard Hearst's yacht. Of all the swirling speculation, we can confirm that there was a birthday party for Ince on the yacht that weekend. On Saturday night, November 15th, Ince attended the premiere of his latest movie, The Mirage, in Los Angeles. And on Sunday morning, he drove to San Diego, where he met up with a party ship and boarded the Oneida. Hello there, W.R. Glad you could make it, Tom. Wouldn't be much of a birthday party without the guest of honor. Marion greeted Ince on the dock with a huge bunch of balloons. Happy birthday, Tom. Aw, oh, Marion. You didn't have to go to all this trouble. Well, I know I didn't have to, but I wanted to. Now climb aboard and let's strike up the band. There were a bunch of notable people at the party, including Charlie Chaplin and the movie columnist Luella Parsons. The party went on all day, but after dinner, something went terribly wrong. Well, this is where things start to get fuzzy, but sometime after dinner, something happened to Ince. Something bad. Something so bad that the yacht was forced to make an emergency stop in the middle of the night. The Oneida went back to San Diego, and Dr. Daniel Carson Goodman, a guest aboard the yacht, escorted the ailing Ince from the boat onto a train in the late hours of Sunday night or early Monday morning. Dr. Goodman planned to escort Ince to his home in Los Angeles, but that plan was quickly scrapped. The train ride from San Diego to Los Angeles is only about 120 miles, but after just 20 miles, Ince's condition took a turn for the worse. Goodman ushered Ince off the train and into a hotel in Del Mar. Once they arrived at the hotel, a second doctor and a nurse were called, but Ince asked for his wife and his personal physician, Dr. Ida Glasgow. 
Ince's wife, Nell, raced from Los Angeles to be by her husband's bedside. Their 15-year-old son, William, accompanied her. Thomas? Tom, it's Nell. William is here, too. Say something, William. Pop, can you hear us? Dr. Glasgow is here with us, and he's going to make you well. Help him, doctor, please. Tom, Tom, I know you're in a lot of pain right now. It's probably just a bad combination of your ulcers combined with an attack of angina. Everything is going to be all right. But two days later, Ince was dead. Did you see the headline this morning? That man died. Ince? Of course he did. He was shot in the head. But I'm surprised Hearst let it get in the papers. Surely even he cannot keep this a secret. He committed murder. There were witnesses. He will be found guilty and he will go to jail. I wouldn't be so certain. Hearst controls the newspapers. And he's very rich. Do not underestimate the power of money in media. You've seen the way Charlie handles bad publicity. If no one hears the story, it's as if it never happened. They're saying it was a chronic stomach ailment that caused a heart attack. And so that's the story that people will remember. But that's not true. Since when in the writing of history has truth mattered? Uh, hello? Kono, not sure if you've seen the news yet, old boy, but if anyone from the Times calls, mum's the word, all right? We weren't on that yacht, and you didn't see a thing. I don't think I need to tell you what I'm talking about. I understand. Good. Find out when the services are. I want to pay my respects. And can you have some flowers sent up to the widow? Yes, sir. Thank you, Kono. Truly. Of course, Mr. Chaplin. What did he say? He asked me to lie. To whom? Hello? Do I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Toraichi Kono? This is Tom Sullivan over at the Los Angeles Times. What can you tell me about the death of Thomas Ince? Toraichi Kono was a Japanese immigrant who worked for Charlie Chaplin. He was hired to be his personal assistant in 1916, and nearly 18 years later went on to become the head of United Artists Japan. Chaplin and Kono had an incredibly close working relationship. Kono told his wife that he had seen Ince being taken off the boat and claimed to see him bleeding from a head injury that looked like a gunshot wound. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, Not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my Taste Buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. And now, let's continue our story. 
Kono's story that Ince was bleeding from a head injury that looked like a gunshot wound spread like wildfire among the support staff of Hollywood and Beverly Hills, and they, in turn, told their bosses. Did you hear about Mr. Ince? So dreadful. Shot right through the head. Hearst took him out to sea, threw him a party with a bunch of bootlegged hooch, then shot him dead. But why? He was fixing to shoot Charlie Chaplin. Why would Hearst want to kill Chaplin? Uh, He thought his girl Marion was stepping out on him. Well, it's not like it's the first time we've heard that kind of thing about old Charlie. Lord knows he can't keep his hands to himself, but I thought he liked his girls younger than Marion Davies. Much younger. I heard the old man caught him right in the act. Marion screamed, Hearst went to get his gun, Chaplin ran out of the room, Ince ran in to see what the ruckus was all about, and bam, took a bullet meant for Chaplin. A terrible case of mistaken identity. Or terrible drunkenness. I heard Hearst fired straight away, but his shot went through the wall and struck the director sitting in the next room. I don't believe that for a minute. What kind of gun would shoot through a wall? An expensive one. That Irish girl who works at the Wilcox house? She did a summer's work as a chambermaid for Hearst, and I remember her saying that he always carried a revolver covered in diamonds. He liked to shoot seagulls off the back balcony. Apparently, he is an excellent shot. If he's such a dead-eye, why would he shoot into the wall? He didn't shoot into the wall. He shot into a man, just like he meant to. It's just that it was the wrong man. The rumors swirled and expanded, growing wilder and more outlandish as the days went by. Within the week, there were multiple calls to both the L.A. and San Diego police demanding an investigation into the matter. Hello, operator. Please connect me with the Los Angeles Police Department. I need to report a murder. What's the big idea trying to cover up a murder? I want to know what really happened on the Hearst yacht. You have to find out what happened. You just have to. Think of all the poor children he left behind. And their mother. They all deserve justice. The authorities have a responsibility to the deceased and to the public to reveal the truth of this man's death. And if not for the murder, then at least the illicit consumption. I can't say for sure if there was foul play, but I can assure you that there was alcohol, and all manner of evil stems from there. Remember, this was all happening during Prohibition. Drinking alcohol of any sort was against federal law, and there was almost certainly alcohol served aboard the Oneida. The feds often turned a blind eye to the lavish drinking parties rich people continued to host throughout Prohibition. And Hearst and Marion Davies were no exception. They often hosted parties that involved alcohol both aboard the Oneida and at their home in San Simeon. But Hearst tended to keep a close eye on how much was served and how much people drank. God damn it, Marion. I don't want people making fools of themselves. Attempt to maintain a veneer of decency. Two drinks per person maximum. Come on, W.R., be a sport. Let people enjoy themselves. If they need more than two drinks to enjoy themselves, they ought to take up another pastime, like sailing or golf. Well, I'll be sure to mention that during the next cocktail hour. There, you big lug. Now do you feel better? No, that's all the indulgence any man needs. The love and affection of a beautiful woman. But despite their money and stature, the public's calls to investigate were too loud to be ignored. The Los Angeles Homicide Department sent two officers directly to the funeral home sometime between Ince's death on Wednesday and his funeral on Friday to examine the body firsthand. 
They were mostly there to appease the calls from the angry masses, but also to see for themselves if there may have been foul play surrounding Ince's death. All right, let's have a look at the stiff. Have some respect for the dead, Fox. I've got plenty of respect for the dead. It's the rich I could do without. If a rich guy gets murdered, it's still murder. Debatable. Sorry about that, Mr. Hauk. I know he was your employer and all. It's all right, officer. Mr. Ince was a good man. It's a terrible thing that this happened. Of course. Follow me, gentlemen. Mr. Ince's body is down the hall. The mortician, Dr. Dayton, allowed the three men to inspect the body. They reported that he turned it over to reveal absolutely nothing unusual. No marks, no wounds, nothing to indicate Ince's death was caused by anything but natural causes. The guy couldn't hold his liquor and it got the best of them. That's all there is to it. But this was Hollywood. What if the mortician was in on it? Couldn't he have done cosmetic work on the body to hide any trace of an injury? Maybe. But why would he put his livelihood and reputation on the line like that? That's a huge risk. The officers could have thrown him in jail for something like that. Or at least revoked his mortician's license. Good point. But what about the cops themselves? How do we know they were telling the truth? Why wouldn't they? What if Hearst paid them off? What makes you think that happened? Hearst was a rich guy trying to break into politics. Why wouldn't he want to pay them off? I guess that's possible, but there's no reason beyond speculation to think that happened. No evidence whatsoever. Okay, so let's get back to focusing on the facts. What happened after the police visited the morgue? The Los Angeles authorities ended their investigation and funeral arrangements were made. So, to review, Ince got sick on the boat on Sunday night and died at home in Los Angeles on Wednesday. The funeral was held on Friday, November 21st, 1924, in the chapel at the Hollywood Cemetery. An article in the Los Angeles Times described the scene of friends and co-workers paying their respects. The motion picture sets of Hollywood were deserted yesterday as throngs gathered to pay tribute to a fallen chieftain of the screen. A long file of friends and employees passed before the body, viewing for the last time the features of their chief. The article clearly describes an open casket service. Huh. That's significant because everyone saw the body and nobody seemed to notice anything strange or unusual about its appearance. Beautiful ceremony. Indeed. The mortician did a really nice job. He looks as well as he always did. There is one difference, though. What's that? I've never known Ince to sit still for more than five minutes at a time. (laughs) (laughs) He did like to keep busy, didn't he? He was a force of nature. So no one else saw the gunshot wound to the head aside from Kono? Huh, that's right. It's also worth reminding you that the LA Times was one of Hearst's rival papers. Competition between the papers was fierce, so if there was a way to make Hearst look bad... Say, by playing up the angle that he committed murder... Exactly. You can bet they would have taken it. But they didn't. Hmm. The Times reporting on Ince's funeral was straightforward and utterly devoid of scandal. Ince's wife was there, of course, along with their three sons. Both Marion Davies and Charlie Chaplin were there, along with several other celebrities and family friends like Douglas Fairbanks and Harold Lloyd. Noticeably absent was William Randolph Hearst himself. It's strange that Marion would attend but not Hearst, after they just threw the guy a birthday party on their private yacht. 
Yes, at first it does seem weird, but Hearst was well known to have, quote, an aversion to funerals. Yeah, don't most people? <laughs> I agree, that's a pretty weak excuse, but this was a well-known personality quirk, and so no one thought Hearst's absence was unusual. Instead, Hearst sent a lavish floral arrangement and took off for San Simeon while Marion went to the funeral on her own. Did you happen to see W.R.? He doesn't have the brass to show his face here. So you believe the rumors? Don't you? I don't know what to believe. But I will admit that it's a little fishy he sent his girl alone to the services. Especially when he knew Chaplin would be here. Okay. They are looking awfully cozy, aren't they? They wouldn't be that brazen. I know what people say about Charlie, but he has more decency than that. For God's sakes, if the rumors are true, their indiscretion caused a man's death. That would be in very poor form. Indeed. So despite absolutely no confirmation of evidence from anyone at all, the rumors continued to spin out after the funeral services. All over Southern California, the public speculated about police involvement, about the extensive cover-up, and about the treatment of the body itself. Many came to believe that Ince's wife was in on the cover-up because his remains were cremated shortly after the ceremony. Did you hear? They cremated the body after the funeral. Rushed it right off to the furnace. If that isn't peculiar, I don't know what is. Sounds to me like somebody didn't want that body hanging around too long. You think they are trying to hide something? Why else would you rush it off like that? Someone is trying to hide something, and we all know who that someone is. Mr. Hurst. Shh. Be careful where you say that. You never know who might be on his side. Is it normal to have a cremation done so quickly? Hmm. Cremation wasn't a very popular practice in the 1920s, so that news, in light of all the other mysterious circumstances, got people talking again. With all of the calls for an investigation, you'd have thought there might be an autopsy to determine the cause of death. You would. But even if the family didn't want to pursue some concrete answers, the public certainly did. Well, the demands to investigate continued. Los Angeles Police Department, Officer Gunnell speaking. Why hasn't anyone looked into the murder of Thomas Ince? Why isn't William Randolph Hearst in prison? Doesn't anyone care about justice anymore? When's someone gonna hang for the murder of Thomas Ince? The calls were so persistent that in mid-December, three weeks after the death, San Diego D.A. Chester C. Kempley opened an official investigation into the matter. Our story will continue in a moment after the break. Welcome back to Collector's Closet, presented by the Ohio Lottery. Let's discuss my newest prize possession, this new $10 scratch-off, the $500,000 Platinum Jackpot. The best method I've found so far to help it hold its value is to vacuum seal it. This thing cannot get scratched. What's that? Sorry, my producer's telling me the only way it could be worth up to 500 grand is if I do scratch it? Okay, well, in that case, definitely don't overprotect your $500,000 platinum jackpot scratch-offs. Play them. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. 
Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. And now, back to the story. An official investigation had just been opened into Ince's death. But without a body, what kind of investigating could they do? Mostly interviews, witness testimony. Did the cops question everyone at the party? Charlie Chaplin, Mr. Kono, Marion Davies? In this investigation, Kempley only questioned one person. Was it Hearst? Nope. It was Dr. Goodman, the doctor who escorted the ailing ints from Hearst's yacht to his own home in Benedict Canyon. That was it? Yep. The Boston Globe summarized Kempley's report in detail. It placed a heavy emphasis on the illegal booze aboard the yacht that fateful night. Well, sounds like a real crackerjack investigation team. News at 11. Alcohol was served at Millionaire's Yacht Party. It was not the thrilling homicide report a lot of people had anticipated. No, but serving alcohol was still a federal offense under prohibition law, so it got some attention. In reality, that alone was enough to make Hearst nervous, because he was so terrified of scandal of any kind. Well, this wasn't public information at the time, but concurrent to all of these rumors about ints, Hearst was already being investigated by the Justice Department for financing a bootlegging operation. So did Kempley end up investigating him for that? Not according to any record that I found. And other than avoiding the funeral, is there anything else that Hearst did specifically that made him seem in any way suspicious or guilty? Possibly. See, there was another popular rumor that Hearst paid off Ince's widow that he gave her a trust in exchange for her silence, and she suddenly moved the whole family to Europe. What are you doing here? You have a great deal of nerve showing your face in my husband's house. Oh, Nell. Nellie. There are no words to express how very sorry I am, how incredibly guilty I feel. To have taken your husband out of this world, such a good man and a kind father, so devoted to you and the boys, we would hate for scandal of any kind to touch them and mar the potential of their futures. I hate to bring up the indelicate subject of money, but if there's any sum I might provide so that you and your family can live out the rest of your days in comfort, please, don't hesitate to ask. Well, that would look pretty suspicious. <laughs> it would be, if it were true. It wasn't? It's unclear whether Hearst set up the Inns family with a trust, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence supporting that. Well, it would have been a nice gesture for a family that suddenly lost its provider. It would, but remember that Inns was an incredibly successful filmmaker. Oh yeah, that's right. It's not like all his money died along with him. Exactly. The Inns family wasn't exactly hurting for cash. At the time of his death, Ince had so many different business ventures in the works that it took Eleanor months to sort through his affairs and tie up all of the loose ends. Eleanor and the boys did leave the U.S., but Ince died in November, and they didn't depart until the following summer. Because she was so busy handling all of the unfinished business. Exactly. In the months after Ince died, Eleanor sold their home in Benedict Canyon and got into real estate in Los Angeles. A time-honored tradition among Angelinos. Indeed. She used a property on Franklin Avenue to build the Chateau Elysee. Huh. Let me guess. 
The people who were convinced that Hearst was guilty claimed he gifted Nell this valuable property to buy her silence about the murder. You're right. Ansardi owned the land before he died. Eleanor inherited it, fair and square. So it's pretty clear that Hearst didn't give Mrs. Ince any significant amount of money or valuable gifts to buy her silence. No, he didn't. But maybe he didn't have to. Maybe her desire to protect her children and her family's reputation was enough to keep her quiet about the scandal involving Hearst, Chaplin, and Davies. But what about everyone else? There was literally a boatload of people there on the night of the incident. What did Chaplin have to say about what happened? I have no idea how people get these notions. All manner of scandalous rumors about moonlit trysts and a tragic case of mistaken identity. We're talking about a man's life, not a Shakespeare play, for God's sake. No, I hate to dash everyone's wildest dreams, but I wasn't on the boat at all that weekend. But he was. Yes, he was. And Chaplin's story got even stranger. He claimed that he, Hearst, and Marion Davies had gone to visit Ince at his home in Benedict Canyon when he fell ill the week before the actual party. But they didn't. No, they didn't. And Ince wasn't sick a week before the party. Well, Chaplin also said that Ince died two weeks later than he really did. Wait, 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 what? But he was at the funeral. The party was on Sunday, Ince died on Wednesday, and the funeral was on Friday. He knows that Ince was only ailing for a few days. Why would he lie about that? Maybe he had something to hide. But what? And was it related to Marion Davies? What did she have to say? Well, she also included some bizarre details in her version of events. Well, she admitted to being aboard the boat, but claimed that Nell Ince called her the very next day to tell her that Thomas had died. Oh, I thought he hung on for a few days. He did. Ince fell ill on Sunday night, but was alive until the early hours of Wednesday morning. So her story doesn't add up either. All of this makes me think there really was a massive cover-up. Okay, but in order for that to be true, Hearst would have had to pay off a bunch of people. First, uh, would be everyone aboard the boat at the same time as Ince. Well, that means everyone at the party and everyone working on the yacht. That's right. Then there were two nurses at the hotel in Del Mar, Ince's personal physician, the authorities in Los Angeles and San Diego counties, and the entire opposition press. And that's where this theory falls apart. Exactly. That's the biggest piece of the puzzle. Of course, the L.A. Times would have jumped at the chance to smear Hearst. Some people say that the L.A. Times ran a headline about Ince being shot on the yacht the morning after his death. But there is no record of even that. And it was apparently scrubbed from the afternoon editions. Huh. But you can bet that if there really was any potential for the Times to take down the media mogul, they would have pursued it. Well, some persistent journalist at the L.A. Times would have leapt on the story. If anyone was going to find out the truth about Hearst, it would have been them. Or better yet, what about the legendary gossip columnist who also attended the party on the yacht? You mean Luella Parsons. Ooh, that's the one. If you're at all interested in the history of Hollywood, the name Luella Parsons may be familiar to you. Later in her career, she went on to become one of the two greatest celebrity gossip columnists of Hollywood's golden era. Imagine if Perez Hilton was an uppity older woman with a very strict moral compass. Now, one contemporary described her as being so conservative that she was, quote, to the right of Genghis Khan. <laughs> Luella made plenty of friends in show business, 
but even more enemies. Now, the most famous of which was Hedda Hopper, her greatest rival. Between the two of them, Luella and Hedda spoke to a readership of about 75 million, and they had the power to make or break celebrity careers. Luella was definitely not the kind of person you would want aboard your party yacht on the night a murder occurred. Unless you were her boss. She worked for Hearst? That's right. In 1924, Luella Parsons was just a lowly movie columnist living in New York, writing for one of Hearst's many publications. Well, Mr. Hearst, it seems you're in a bit of a bind. It would be a shame if all of this bad news spilled out into the press. You wouldn't dare. Wouldn't I? I am sure the editor of the Los Angeles Times would be very interested to hear some of the things that I know. What is it you want, Miss Parsons? I know you're not wasting my time making idle threats. So what do you want from me? Nothing outlandish or unsavory. I won't ask you to debase yourself for my sake. I know that. You'd live to regret it if you did. Out with it, Miss Parsons. What is it you want? Job security. I want to know that I will never have to worry about money again, and that I will always have a position in the Hearst Papers. Done. And syndication? Fine. Why, Mr. Hurst, you are too kind. Now, I need to remind you, Miss Parsons, that a man's life hangs in the balance. You wouldn't want to take advantage of his situation, would you? Or his wife's misfortune and his children's? I have merely seized a career opportunity. Any harm done to the family was no fault of mine, which is more than I can say for yourself. Heed your words, Miss Parsons. Soon enough, Mr. Hurst. You, along with all the world, will be heeding my words. So Hurst handed Luella her career in exchange for silence on the Inns affair, and she went on to have a weekly readership of nearly 75 million. That's the rumor. But is it true? No. Although several sources state that Luella was among the guests at the yacht party, she was actually in New York at the time. Oh, well, that solves that. But how did her name ever get wrapped up in all this then? Who knows? Somewhere along the line, someone did the math and realized that Luella's career started to take off just after the Hearst incident. Well, maybe it was her rival, Hedda Hopper, who planted the seed. Hmm. It very well could have been. So that part of the story turns out not to be true either. What else are we getting wrong here? Well, we keep focusing on Hearst as the shooter, but there were actually two other suspects. Let's start there. Who were they? One was Abigail Kingsolving, another guest at the party. Who was she, and why would she want to kill Ince? Abigail was Marion Davies' personal secretary. Some people claim that Ince raped Abigail and she shot him in an attempt to fend him off. I'm going to guess that there's not a lot of evidence to support that theory. Almost none at all. So what about the other suspect? That would be Miss Margaret Livingston, an actress rumored to have been Ince's longtime mistress. And why would she have wanted to kill him? Mm, I guess the usual, a lover's quarrel gone wrong. You promised. I never promised you anything. You did. You told me you were going to leave her. You asked me to, but I never promised you anything. And I certainly never promised you that. How you get these silly notions in your head, I'll never understand. But hear this, it is over. What? We're through, Margaret. I can't do this anymore. It's too much. You lying bastard. You do not get to leave me. Have some water, Margie. You're drunk. You do not get to leave. Put the gun down. Margaret? Margaret! (laughs) 
And is there any basis for that story? Zilch. Apparently, Ince was a truly devoted family man, and if he was having any affairs, absolutely no one knew about them. So amid all of these debunked rumors, is it possible to find out the truth? Well, we know for sure that Eleanor Ince stayed friends with Hearst and Davies for years after Thomas's death. And why would she maintain a friendship with the man who murdered her husband? For the same reason that Chaplin remained friends with the man who allegedly tried to kill him. It didn't happen. So Chaplin and Hearst kept up their friendship as well? They did. Well into the 1930s. Huh. So maybe it really was just an accidental shooting, and although it was unfortunate and tragic, and no one liked to talk about it, Everyone knew that there was no crime. The accident theory is one of the most unlikely because either the bullet intended for Chaplin pierced the wall before striking Ince in the head, or Hearst mistook Ince for Chaplin. I get that shooting through the wall is pretty far-fetched, but what's wrong with the theory of mistaken identity? It was dark, tensions were high. Maybe Hearst had a little too much to drink. It's easy to understand that a mistake was made. Sure, but it would be incredibly unlikely that anyone would mistake Inns for Chaplin, even from behind, even by moonlight. Why not? They weren't anything alike. In terms of physical build, it would have been like mistaking Mike Tyson for Daniel Radcliffe. (laughs) Chaplin's neat and nimble acrobat's frame was nothing like the broad and stocky Inns. Well, there has been a lot of talk about William Randolph Hearst's alleged connection to Ince's death, but did he ever make any kind of public statement about it? Hearst never spoke publicly about the incident, but there are several accounts that indicate Ince's death weighed heavy on his mind. Apparently, he debated making a public statement as late as 1940, but ultimately decided against it. The silent film director, D.W. Griffiths, also mentioned that for the rest of his life, Hearst was spooked by the whole affair. All you had to do to make Hearst turn white as a ghost is mention Ince's name. There's plenty wrong there, but Hearst is too big. So what do you think happened? I believe Hearst felt responsible for Ince's death, but I don't think he shot him in the head. Why not? Because there's absolutely no evidence that there was foul play surrounding Ince's death at all. Every wild rumor we've come across has been pretty easily debunked. But then why did the rumors persist for so long? Because people like a good story, and this is a pretty fantastic one. It is a pretty good one. The fact remains that there was no concrete evidence to say that Ince had been shot. There wasn't even reliable witness testimony to back it up. Chaplin's valet, Mr. Kono, is the only one who mentioned anything about a shooting. And there's a good chance that he was just confused about what he saw. Absolutely no one else reported anything that would have corroborated his statement. Hmm. It wasn't even an official statement, just a private conversation with his wife that apparently got passed around town. A regular game of whisper down the line. It is incredibly easy for rumors to spin out of control. It's not so easy to orchestrate a massive airtight media cover-up, even for a guy like Hearst. There were a lot of people interested in the story, and if there was anything to be found, it would be nearly impossible to keep it under wraps. Years after his death, one of the sources closest to Ince provided another insight. The Ince's oldest son, William, accompanied his mother to his father's bedside once he was taken off the Oneida. Though only 15 at the time, 
William went on to become a doctor and clearly remembered his ailing father's symptoms. Remembering back through the lens of his medical education, Dr. William Ince made a diagnosis of the condition that killed his father. Looking back on my father's symptoms, it's my professional medical opinion that he was showing signs of thrombosis, and that, in fact, is what killed him. Wait, what is thrombosis? It basically means a blood clot. Ooh. So Thomas Ince died of natural causes, but it was misdiagnosed. It's not exciting, but I honestly think that's exactly what happened. Well, given what we know now, it does seem to make the most sense. But what else would you expect from people in the movie industry? (laughs) What do you mean? Hollywood people love a good story. The drama, the scandal, the intrigue. Of course, they latched onto a story of the romance between Chaplin and Davies, and then the tragic murder of the innocent producer by the big, mean, rich guy, Hearst. It does sound like a movie. Or a podcast. That's true. And with that, we conclude our investigation into the mysterious death of Thomas Ince. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast, and our Twitter handle is at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Tuesday, and next Tuesday we'll investigate the case of the Servant Girl Murders. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro and Kenny Hobbs, production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unsolved Murders is written by Lauren Cannon and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Amber Connor, Z. Cruz, Kimberly Holland, Harris Markson, Nick Masu, Manu Narayan, Steve Pinto, and Greg Polson. <laughs> <laughs>